This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Tenacious Endurance. In the first half, David F. Evans shares his address, Tenacity. Then in the second half, Rosemary Thackeray speaks on Strengthened by the Hand of the Lord. During this past General Conference, I had the opportunity to say the prayer at the beginning of the final session on Sunday afternoon. Let me tell you what happened. As I was praying, I meant to say, I pray that our faith may be strengthened. Instead, I pray that our strength may be faithened. (laughs) I quickly corrected myself. However, I soon found that once something is said in a digital format, one can never take it back. As soon as I got home from General Conference and opened up Facebook, I had a post from one of our former missionaries who had a picture of me. His post read, And just that fast, you're a meme. (laughs) This experience has taught me, and it should teach you, something about things you say that are sent out to the world in a digital form. My prayer today is that not only will your strength be faithened, but that also your faith might truly be strengthened. Not long ago, I was sitting in my office and the phone rang. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf was calling. As we spoke, President Uchtdorf told me that he was pondering a word in English. The word was tenacity. President Uchtdorf's command of the English language is truly remarkable. In our conversation, he defined tenacity as the ability to stick to a task even when obstacles arise, and he indicated that this word includes in its meaning an absolute determination to accomplish the work or task that has been undertaken. He noticed that tenacity is a quality worth developing, especially in our youth and young single adults. It's the opposite of what he sometimes observes when some people meet adversity. Those without tenacity may strive half-heartedly against an obstacle, only to give up and quit when it becomes too difficult. Others quit before they have even begun because their task seems insurmountable. One online dictionary defines tenacity as persistence, perseverance, and stubborn determination, and states that tenacity is the quality displayed by someone who just won't quit, who keeps trying until they reach their goal. I agree with President Uchtdorf. Tenacity is required to become true disciples of the Savior and to achieve those truly good goals. To become a great missionary, to complete your education, to find an eternal companion, and to start a family that our Heavenly Father knows we need to achieve in this life to prepare for eternity. Our ability to be tenacious in all good things will determine whether we become the sons and daughters of God He knows we can and must become. This conversation with President Uchtdorf caused me to think of the many examples of tenacious righteousness we found in the scriptures. The examples I use are, of necessity, not exhaustive, but they have given me both hope to be able to become a true disciple of Christ and faith that our Heavenly Father and His Son will help you and me hold on and persist in righteousness. Your generation has been declared the greatest generation of missionaries in the history of the Church, and this generation of missionaries has frequently been compared to the 2,000 stripling warriors of Helaman. Like you, these 2,000 stripling warriors had tenacity in everything that was good. 
Think of how the scriptures describe them. They entered into a covenant. They were a great support and gave those around them great joy and much hope. They had great courage. They did not fear. They did not doubt. But they were firm and undaunted. They did obey and observe to perform every word of command with exactness. The Lord blessed them according to their faith. They were exceedingly valiant for courage and also for strength and activity. They were true at all times in whatsoever thing they were entrusted, for they had been taught to keep the commandments of God and to walk uprightly before Him. Notwithstanding these remarkable attributes, and notwithstanding the tenacious faith and effort of these young men and their leaders, the record states, It came to pass that there were 200 out of my 2,060 who had fainted because of the loss of blood. Nevertheless, according to the goodness of God and to our great astonishment and also the joy of our whole army, there was not one soul of them who did perish, yea, and neither was there one soul among them who had not received many wounds. They were delivered because of their exceeding faith in that which they had been taught to believe, that there was a just God, and whosoever did not doubt that they should be preserved by his marvelous power. This is what Helaman said of them. Now this was the faith of these of whom I have spoken. They are young, and their minds are firm, and they do put their trust in God continually. So it must be with us. In life it is when the rains descend, and the floods come, and the winds blow and beat upon us and on our house, that we determine whether our faith is strong and whether we put in our trust in God continually. There simply is no test until after the adversity. Some of you have served as missionaries. Some of you have your call and will soon serve the Lord for 18 months or two years. Some of you are gathering uh, the information needed for your missionary recommendation. And some of you are still preparing and even repenting so that you can serve. Some will not serve because you have chosen another direction. And, of course, the sisters, many of whom are blessing the entire Church by their missionary service, are not under the same obligation to serve as are the elders. However, when you serve, whether as a missionary or in some other capacity in the Church, we pray that you will have the kind of tenacity of which I am speaking. Some years ago, my wife Mary and I were called to serve together as I presided over the Japan Nagoya Mission. We saw many missionaries during those years. We saw miracle after miracle. We also saw great faith and tenacity in so many. As I think back on those missionaries whom we love so very much, I have thought that the faithful, valiant description given to those 2,000 stripling warriors applies to those with whom we served and to all who put their trust and faith in God and who choose to serve the Lord in whatever place and in whatever manner He may call. You know that God will bless you and even deliver you as you keep the commandments of God and walk uprightly before Him. The other description of those 2,000 stripling warriors is also accurate. A mission is not easy. Some faint. All will be injured in some way. Some of this hurt comes from unresolved transgression. Some comes by way of accident or illness. Some comes when we see those we love either reject the gospel or not be faithful to what they know to be true. Through all of this, we come to know God and we grow to become the Savior's disciples. 
Our very hearts change, and that change becomes permanent as we continue to choose righteousness over sin and doubt. Those 2,000 stripling warriors were tenacious in their desires. They simply would not give up, even when their path was difficult. A generation earlier, their fathers and mothers were taught by Ammon and his brethren. Those missionaries had great success, but they also had to hold on and not give up when their missions were difficult and discouraging. This verse describes those times. Quote, now when our hearts were depressed and we were about to turn back, behold, the Lord comforted us and said, Go amongst thy brethren, the Lamanites, and bear with patience thine afflictions, and I will give unto you success. End of quote. With patience and tenacity, Ammon and his companions worked through their afflictions and ultimately saw remarkable success. Let me give you one example of tenacious faith in a missionary. In 1999, Sister Marcy Barr came to the Nagoya Mission from Columbus, Ohio. She was a convert to the Church. <clears throat> Japanese was not easy for her, but she was tenacious. She was not going to give up or give in. In fact, early in her mission, she was so determined to learn Japanese that she tried riding her bike and studying at the same time. Now, This resulted in a painful bike accident and is not recommended. But persistence, perseverance, and stubborn determination characterized everything about Sister Barr. Once she learned how to communicate, she never stopped talking with people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that in Japan and in every other country of the world, there are those who are ready to hear the gospel. There are great promises to faithful, persistent, even tenacious missionaries who open their mouths with boldness and love and who work with all their might in the ways that the Lord has set forth. One such promise is that the Lord will open the hearts of the people, and they will receive you. Some missionaries become fearful of rejection and let their fears overcome the loving boldness that they once felt. Not Sister Barr. She found and taught, and she taught and found all of her mission. She never gave up. She knew that God had sent her, and she knew that God will fulfill His promises made to those who would be faithful to the very end. On the very last day of her mission, she was traveling by train and subway alone to the mission home in Nagoya. That's how we did transfers in those days. She had faithfully completed her mission. That night I would interview her and tell her that she had done a wonderful job, and she had. As she traveled to the mission home, there was a group of high school-aged Japanese girls talking together on the subway. She approached them and asked if she could visit with them. She spoke of the gospel and its restoration. She gave a missionary tract to one of the girls who seemed interested and told her of the sister missionaries who served in the area where she lived and who could teach her the gospel. One last time, she began to share the gospel in Japanese <clears throat> to one who so needed it in her life. She got off the train, came to the mission home, had her interview, never telling me of her experience on the train. To her, it was not particularly remarkable. It was what she did as a missionary. Sister Barr was a young woman who had become a missionary and who would be a missionary every day and every minute she could. She was simply continuing to do what she knew was right all the way to the end. Perhaps this is the best definition of gospel tenacity I know. 
No matter what, continue to have faith in God and His promises and do what is right all the time, regardless of who knows. You might be interested to know that Sister Barr, now Marcy, returned home to Columbus, Ohio. There in a student ward, she met her future husband. They had been blessed with children and happiness and joy. In fact, I got a message from her just last night indicating that her oldest son just received the priesthood this past Sunday. The girl on the train that Marcy found, Hitomi Kitayama, was taught by the sister missionaries. It took time, but Hitomi persevered and displayed her own form of tenacity as she first learned the truths of the gospel and then embraced them along the way, overcoming opposition from family members and her own doubt. We next met Hitomi nearly six years later at a missionary conference in Tokyo where she was serving as a missionary. It was at this missionary conference that she told us of her meeting Sister Barr on the subway and of her subsequent conversion to the gospel. She was a truly happy missionary. It had been a long journey from the subway in Nagoya to her being one of the Lord's missionaries in Nagoya. After her mission, she met another return missionary, Brother Shinpei Yamashita, and they were married in the Tokyo Temple on December 20, 2008. And they now have three beautiful children. Interestingly, her husband, (coughs) Shinpei, is the son of a man I taught in the summer of 1971 while on my first mission to Japan. How grateful I am for those who have the tenacity to work through, hold on, continue doing what's right, and overcome. It's not just Sister Barr, and it's not just Hitomi Kitayama, and it's not just in spreading the gospel that we need tenacity to do what is right. We need this same righteous tenacity as we seek to overcome personal sin and temptation, complete our education, and seek temple marriage and an eternal family. We will need love, tenacity, and resilience as we hold on to our spouse and children and work through the challenges that come to every marriage and family. We will need this same commitment, tenacity, and patience when the blessings we seek don't come in the time frame we anticipated. In all of this, and in every other righteous thing, our commitment to do right and be right will be challenged by the world. Each of us will need to be one who just won't quit, who keeps trying until we reach our goal. That goal, ultimately, is eternal life with our husband or wife, with our children and their children, generations to come. So how do we gain this strength? and commitment and tenacity, and how do we keep it? First, may I suggest that we establish goals that are worthy of achievement and that are compatible with our ultimate goal of eternal life. This suggests education and employment goals that will lead to and be compatible with family, personal growth, service, and activity in the Church. Part of this will be our own personal choice, but part of the making of these goals must include prayer and personal revelation. Let me give you one example from my own life. Since I was very young, I wanted to be a physician. My Uncle Ted was a physician and was my role model, or at least one of my role models, during my formative years. He treated me when I was sick as a child, and as I got older, he was both a mentor and a friend. Not only was he a successful doctor, he also served in the Church, twice serving as a bishop. I admired everything about him, and I felt that I would like to pattern my life after his. 
As I got older, I kept this goal and enrolled in college courses that would lead to medical school. After my freshman year, I left on my mission to Japan and returned in the fall of 1972. Three months later, Mary and I were married in the Salt Lake Temple, and a year later, our first child was born. As we prayed, both Mary and I felt the desire and prompting to have children. Little Rebecca <coughs> was born in October of 1975. Over the years, we were blessed with six other children. During the months preceding the birth of Becky, I had a constant feeling that the Lord was leading us in a direction that did not include medical school. I was confused and a little stubborn in holding on to my childhood desire of becoming a doctor. The J. Reuben Clark Law School had recently opened at BYU, and I felt a continuing impression and growing desire that this is where I belonged and where the Lord would have me continue my education. I had a wonderful stake president who had been a prominent lawyer in Salt Lake and had given it all up to accept the position of Secretary of the First Presidency. I went to visit him and told him both of my confusion and the feelings that I was having. Rather than telling me the answer I was looking for, he said something that I have never forgotten. He said, David, you know the ninth section of the Doctrine and Covenants as well as I do. Go home to your wife, Mary. Study it out in your minds together, and then come to a decision that you can take to the Lord. Then pray and ask God if what you have decided is right. He will answer you. He then said, This revelation does not need to take months and months of agonizing. Rather, it takes the desire to find out what the Lord would have you do and then the determination to do it. Two weeks later, I was back with my stake president. I told him that both Mary and I were settled and that we would be applying to law school instead of medical school. Once we knew what the Lord would have us do, we were absolutely determined to follow that course. After I told him of our experience, he told me that he had had the same witness when we had met two weeks earlier, but that it was important for me to receive the witness rather than for him to just tell me what I should do. For me, it was the right answer. That same path would not be right for many others. The way to know is through personal revelation. If you care enough to go through the process to seek God's will, God will care enough to answer. Among the many things we should pray about, we should pray to find a worthy companion with whom we can go to the temple and make sacred covenants. If you want to make and keep sacred covenants and have the motivation to achieve your most righteous goals, prayerfully seek the blessings and responsibilities of marriage. During this past General Conference, Brother Tad Callister spoke of the power of prayer, not just the routine of prayer, and told a story from his youth. Quote, when I was about 17 years of age, I was kneeling by my bed, saying my evening prayers. Unbeknown to me, my mother was standing in the doorway. When I finished, she said, Tad, are you asking the Lord to help you find a good wife? Her question caught me totally off guard. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I was thinking about basketball and school, and so I replied, No. To which she responded, Well, you should, son. It will be the most important decision you will ever make. Those words sunk deep into my heart, and so for the next six years, I prayed that God would help me find a good wife. And oh, how he answered that prayer. End of quote. 
Knowing what God would have you do provides great motivation to do it and to do it without delay. Think of Alma outside of Ammonihah, who, after he had received his message from the Lord, went about doing it speedily. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing more discouraging than knowing what you should do, only to procrastinate performance and miss the opportunity. There's nothing more invigorating than knowing what you should do and then getting about doing it. Find out what God would have you do. Study it out. Make some decisions. Take them to the Lord and find out. Then get on with achieving those goals. In all of this, if we are going to be tenacious in righteous things, we must stay close to the Lord through righteous living. Few things will distract us more from achieving our righteous goals than being unworthy of the blessings of the Spirit in our lives. Brethren and sisters, if I may be straightforward for just a moment. Avoid pornography completely. Habits for good or for evil which you form or deepen at this time of your life will likely stay with you for many years to come. Nothing will distract you more from achievement of righteous goals, including marriage and family, than this or other sexual sin. If repentance is needed, you know what to do. Do not procrastinate. Forgiveness, healing, and even innocence will follow. Remember, let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. The best measure we have of righteous living is the worthy holding and use of a temple recommend. President Thomas S. Monson said, quote, If you have not yet been to the temple, or if you have been but currently do not qualify for a recommend, there is no more important goal for you to work toward than being worthy to go to the temple. Your sacrifice may be bringing your life into compliance with what is required to receive a recommend, perhaps by forsaking long-held habits which disqualify you. It may be having the faith and the discipline to pay your tithing. Whatever it is, qualify to enter the temple of God. Secure a temple recommend and regard it as a precious possession, for such it is." End of quote. Not every problem is solved quickly, and some problems have no earthly solution. Other problems are solved, but not when or as we would have solved them. But God is true to his word. Remember his promise from the 90th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Search diligently, pray always, and be believing, and all things shall work together for your good if ye walk uprightly and remember the covenant wherewith ye have covenanted one with another. There are also patterns found in the scriptures for when we do not have clear direction from the Lord. Some things, in fact, many things, are left to our own good judgment. When that happens, we can look to Nephi for a pattern as we move forward in faith. He said, I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth. End of quote. Don't become paralyzed waiting for the Lord to solve every problem. Rather, move forward in faith, knowing that there will be sufficient light along the way to provide the guidance that will be needed. I close with the words from Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. He spoke of a time when he and Sister Holland had small children and no money. They had a car that wouldn't work and was broken down along the side of a freeway and a destination that was so very far off. He was discouraged and felt a measure of real concern. 
Years later, as he reflected on that experience, he said, quote, In my mind's eye, just for an instant, I thought perhaps I saw on that side road an old car with a devoted young wife and two little children making the best of a bad situation there. Just ahead of them, I imagined that I saw a young fellow walking toward help with plenty of distance still ahead of him. His shoulders seemed to be slumping a little, the weight of a young father's fear evident in his pace. In the scriptural phrase, his hands did seem to hang down. In that imaginary instant, I couldn't help calling out to him, Don't give up, boy. Don't you quit. You keep walking. You keep trying. There is help and happiness ahead. You keep your chin up, and it will be all right in the end. Trust God and believe in good things to come. Some blessings come soon, some come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. End of quote. I add my testimony to that of Elder Holland. Make righteous goals. Always pray and seek his guidance. Be worthy and avoid those things that will distract or hinder your progress. Have and use your personal temple recommend. Keep your covenants, especially when life is hard. Seek the blessings of eternal marriage and family. Then hold on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep walking and keep trying. There is happiness and help ahead. Trust God and believe in good things to come. Be tenacious in every righteous thing. You will see your faith strengthened, and you will see your strengths and talents which God has given you deepen and magnified as your faith increases. In all of this, remember, some blessings come soon, and some come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. Of this I testify in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Tenacious Endurance. We've just heard from David F. Evans. After the break, we'll return with Rosemary Thackeray for Strengthened by the Hand of the Lord. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Tenacious Endurance. Next is Rosemary Thackeray, Associate Professor in the BYU Department of Health Science at the time of this address, titled Strengthened by the Hand of the Lord. On November 10, 1882, a young woman named Sarah Jane Carter married Alma Porter, a widower of 10 years. Sarah Jane was almost 18 years of age, and Alma was almost 48. To Sarah Jane and Alma were born 10 children. Their last child and eighth daughter was my grandmother. My grandmother was just five months old when her father died, leaving Sarah Jane a widow at age 38. In addition to losing her husband, four of Sarah Jane's daughters died at a young age. Sarah Jane worked hard to provide for her family. Her only source of income was from what they produced on a small farm. From the cow's milk, she made butter to sell at the local butcher shop. 
With that money, Sarah Jane could buy the items the family needed that they could not supply themselves. She also sold apples and raspberries for money to pay taxes on the farm. In my living room hangs a large oval frame with a picture of Sarah Jane. On days when I think that my life is hard, I think of her. I think of her challenges. I believe it was Sarah Jane's faith in the Lord and belief that He would strengthen her that helped her through what I imagine were very difficult and lonely days. My grandmother wrote this about Sarah Jane. I can never remember sitting down for breakfast but what we knelt down and had a family prayer. It was a must at our home. You all know the slogan today, the family that prays together stays together. Mother knew she needed lots of help to keep her family close to her, and our Heavenly Father was her best source of strength. Difficulties in life serve at least two purposes. They help us come to the Lord and rely on His strength, and they also help to refine us. The process of refining gold and silver requires the elements to be exposed to very high temperatures. This process removes the impurities and results in a final product that is much stronger. In life, the trials, challenges, heartache, and disappointment, and so forth, as experienced by my great-grandmother, are part of the mortal refinement process. Though as painful and difficult as these experiences may be, if endured well, they will lead to our growth and development. As Job stated, speaking of his trials, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Elder Dallin H. Oaks stated, Through the justice and mercy of a loving Father in Heaven, the refinement and sanctification possible through such experiences can help us achieve what God desires us to become. Of course, talking about enduring is somewhat easier than actually doing it. At times, we may become discouraged and feel like giving up. We may relate to the feelings of Mrs. Linforth, a pioneer immigrant stranded on the Wyoming Plains. In 1856, converts to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints went west pulling handcarts. Most handcart companies were successful. The Willie and Martin Handcart Companies started late in the year. By the time they reached Wyoming, food and other provisions ran low. Winter snowstorms arrived early, and as a result, hundreds died from starvation, exposure, exhaustion, and dysentery. The handcarts and wagons left most of their belongings at Devil's Gate and started towards the Salt Lake Valley. Later that day, Mrs. Linforth was found sitting by the side of the road, dressed elegantly, and crying. When asked what the matter was, sobbing, she replied, This is too much for me. I have always had plenty and have never known hardships. We had a good team and wagon. My husband, if let alone, could have taken me on in comfort. Now I am turned out to walk in this wind and snow. I am determined not to go on, but will stay here and die. My husband has gone on and left me, but I will not go another step. To endure well and not give up amidst the challenges in our journey will require us to have strength beyond our own. We cannot do it alone, but with the Lord's help our success is assured. As a psalmist wrote, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. A central message found in the Book of Mormon is that of deliverance, and specifically the Lord's power to deliver His people. As Alma promised, I would that ye should remember that as much as ye shall put your trust in God, even so much ye shall be delivered out of your trials and your troubles and your afflictions 
and ye shall be lifted up at the last day. One story of deliverance is found in Alma chapter 2. The Nephites were experiencing a tremendous period of prosperity and peace. Then one day, a man by the name of Amlicide decides that he wants to be king and convinces people to follow him. Once Amlicide becomes king, he starts a war with the Nephites. During the first day of the war, over 12,000 Amlicites were killed, as well as 6,000 Nephites. The Nephites decide to rest and pitch their tents in the valley of Gideon. Alma sends spies to check on the Amlicites. The report comes back that the Lamanites have joined forces with the Amlicites and are attacking the people north of Zarahemla. If Alma and his army do not return to Zarahemla, the Amlicites will certainly overtake the city. They pack up camp and begin to cross the river. As they do so, they are attacked by the Amlicites and Lamanites, who Alma records were as numerous as the sands upon the seashore. Then Alma relates, and this is the key point. Nevertheless, the Nephites, being strengthened by the hand of the Lord, having prayed mightily to him that he would deliver them out of the hands of their enemies, therefore the Lord did hear their cries, and did strengthen them, and the Lamanites and the Amlicites did fall before them. In our life, it may seem that the opposition is as numerous as the sands upon the seashore. We may be encumbered by spiritual bondage and sin, discouragement, disappointment, and weaknesses that hinder our progression, or with responsibilities and burdens that are beyond our own ability to manage. On my bedroom wall hangs a painting of a single woman pulling a handcart across a snowy plain. Sometimes I feel like I am that woman, steadily climbing the hills of life, and yet at times I feel like I am doing it alone. Yet I know God is mindful of me as an individual and is watching over me. Just as the Nephites were strengthened by the hand of the Lord and delivered from their enemies, I and you will receive similar strength to pull our load. Last fall, I received the invitation to speak a devotional today. I pondered, prayed, and selected the topic strengthened by the hand of the Lord. A few weeks later, I met with my bishop, and he extended a call to serve as the Ward Relief Society president. I knew immediately that I would have personal experience with being strengthened by the hand of the Lord. Today I share with you what I have learned from that experience and many others by offering four suggestions that can help us be qualified to be strengthened by the hand of the Lord. These suggestions are not just for the really hard, difficult trials, but for everyday life. Each day we have an opportunity to be strengthened by the hand of the Lord. Think about that. Why would anyone choose to wade through life's difficulties alone when the Lord stands at the door and knocks? The Savior Himself said, Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. For us to draw near unto the Lord and be strengthened by Him, the first thing we must do is have faith and believe that the Lord can and will strengthen us. In Isaiah, the Lord counsels, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. If we are to be strengthened by the hand of the Lord, we must learn to more effectively control our fears and feelings of discouragement. Then we must trust God and wait for Him. In Hebrew, the phrase to wait means to hope for or anticipate. Consider that definition as we read a verse from Isaiah chapter 40. But they that wait upon the Lord, or hope for or anticipate, shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. An experience by Daniel W. Jones illustrates so well the concept of being strengthened by the hand of the Lord as we wait upon Him. Daniel Jones was one of 20 men who agreed to stay at Devil's Gate through the winter of 1856 and protect possessions left there by immigrant pioneers mentioned earlier. Daniel and two of the other men had come from Salt Lake City as members of the rescue party and were planning to be gone for a few days, not the entire winter. There were enough provisions to last about 20 days, although there were at least five months of winter ahead. After eating the meager provisions, including the remaining 20 head of cattle, the men survived on what they could hunt. Food was scarce because the cold winter storms had driven away all the animals. Daniel Jones relates the following about their situation. Game soon became so scarce that we could kill nothing. We ate all the poor meat. One would get hungry eating it. Finally, that was all gone. Nothing now but hides were left. We made a trial of them. A lot was cooked and eaten without any seasoning, and it made the whole company sick. Many were so turned against the stuff that it made them sick to think of it. Things looked dark, for nothing remained but the poor raw hides taken from starved cattle. We asked the Lord to direct us what to do. The brethren did not murmur, but felt to trust in God. We had cooked the hide after soaking and scraping the hair off until it was soft and then ate it, glue and all. This made it rather inclined to stay with us longer than we desired. Finally, I was impressed how to fix the stuff and gave the company advice, telling them how to cook it. For them to scorch and scrape the hair off, this had a tendency to kill and purify the bad taste that scalding gave it. After scraping, boil one hour in plenty of water, throwing the water away which had extracted all the glue, then wash and scrape the hide thoroughly, washing in cold water, then boil to a jelly and let it get cold and then eat it with a little sugar sprinkled on it. This was considerable trouble, but we had little else to do, and it was better than starving. We asked the Lord to bless our stomachs and adapt them to this food. We hadn't the faith to ask Him to bless the rawhide, for it was hard stock. On eating, now all seemed to relish the feast. We enjoyed this sumptuous fare for about six weeks and never had the gout. As Daniel Jones and the other men waited upon the Lord and trusted in Him, they were strengthened by His hand. Their bodies were able to bear their burdens with ease. They were able to cheerfully endure months of freezing temperatures and near-starvation conditions without murmuring. Another illustration of faith as a prerequisite of strength was brought to my attention while doing family history research. Annie Langland was born in Wisconsin in July 1859 to immigrant Norwegian parents. At age 18, she married Adolf Langland, also a Norwegian immigrant, and they homesteaded in South Dakota. From what I have read, Annie worked hard and did not enjoy much of the world's wealth. Yet I believe that Annie's Lutheran faith and her trust in God sustained her and increased her capacity for endurance as she waited upon Him. In 1839, at age 79, a widow of six years, Annie wrote the following letter. My dear friends, I received your very interesting letter and the gift inside, for which I cannot find words strong enough to express my thanks, but it was entirely undeserving. 
What little I've done for you was not as much as I wanted to do. How the Lord does provide. I have to buy seed corn as we're putting in 25 acres of corn, and I could not see where the money was coming from to buy it, and here came your fine gift. I surely need a new dress, but we'll have to get the seed. It's awful dry here, and the grasshoppers are hatching by the thousands, so it is not very encouraging to do any sowing or planting. But we must not lose faith in our God. He is almighty and can save us from all evil. Faith and belief in the Lord helps us endure our personal challenges. It also helps us serve more effectively in our callings. In 1837, Heber C. Kimball was called as a missionary to England. President Gordy B. Hinckley said the following about Heber's call. It is difficult for us to comprehend the enormity of that call. It meant leaving a family destitute. It meant traveling to New York and crossing the sea when he had no money. It meant that a man with very little schooling who had grown up and lived in frontier communities would go to the great cities of the British Isles among a people known for their education and enlightenment. Heber wrote, The idea of such a mission was almost more than I could bear up under. I was almost ready to sink under the burden which was placed upon me. Heber's response to this call illustrates his faith and belief that he would be strengthened by the hand of the Lord to fulfill his mission. Heber said, However, all these considerations did not deter me from the path of duty. The moment I understood the will of my Heavenly Father, I felt a determination to go at all hazards, believing that He would support me by His almighty power and endow me with every qualification that I needed. And although my family was dear to me and I should have to leave them almost destitute, I felt that the cause of truth, the gospel of Christ, outweighed every other consideration. The Lord did strengthen Heber and made him a successful missionary. In eight months, he baptized 2,000 saints and formed 26 congregations. The Lord will strengthen us as we wait for Him. My second suggestion for being strengthened by the hand of the Lord is that we must pray and ask the Lord for strength. As it states in Matthew, the Lord already knows what we need before we ask. However, I believe the Lord wants us to acknowledge Him and express our understanding that strength and other blessings come as a gift from His hand. Our responsibility is to humbly petition the Lord to receive those blessings. In the Book of Mormon, Nephi and his family left Jerusalem, journeyed in the wilderness for eight years. After a period of time, the Lord commanded Nephi to build a ship. Having lived in Jerusalem, it was highly unlikely that Nephi possessed many shipbuilding skills. Nevertheless, Nephi did not doubt but responded positively with faith to the Lord's command. In the process of building the ship, Nephi went frequently to the mountain to pray. As he did, the Lord showed him great things, including how to build the ship. The same can be true for us when we need to be strengthened by the hand of the Lord to do hard things beyond our natural ability. If we pray, God will show us the way. I have found myself on my knees many times petitioning the Lord for guidance in my new call as a Relief Society president. One morning I was feeling particularly weighed down. I knelt down to pray and express my concerns. As I did so, an overwhelming sense of peace came over me that everything would be okay. The answers to my prayers do not come all at once, but rather line upon line. Just as Nephi kept returning to the mountain for additional instructions to build the ship, I returned to my knees and seek guidance to move forward. A few years ago, our stake youth went on a pioneer trek to Martin's Cove, an area in Wyoming where the handcart pioneers took shelter from the storms 
and waited for help to arrive. As a stake, we had planned and prepared for this experience for months. On the second morning of the trek, around 4 a.m., I awoke suddenly with terrible stomach pains from food poisoning. In the early morning hours, I slowly paced back and forth in significant discomfort. I sat for a while on a wooden bench and watched the sun begin to peek over the horizon. I knew that it was very unlikely that in just a couple of hours I would go with the youth to walk from our campground to the cove. All morning, I had had a prayer in my heart that I would be able to accompany the youth. However, at one point, I stopped and specifically prayed that I would be healthy and able to go to Martin's Cove. I told Heavenly Father that after all the months of planning and effort that I really wanted to go and have that experience. At approximately 6 a.m., I received a message that a member of the stake presidency would like to give me a priesthood blessing. To be honest, I had not thought about asking for a blessing, but readily accepted the offer. In that blessing, President Smith told me that Heavenly Father was mindful of me. He blessed me that my body would rid itself of what was making me sick and that I would be able to fulfill my responsibilities with the youth. By 10.30 a.m., I was able to leave camp and meet the youth at the Cove and fulfill my responsibilities as promised. I then walked back to camp a distance of about four miles. I had the strength to do this despite the fact that I had been sick, slept just a few hours, and had eaten very little food. I had often wondered why the Lord allowed these faithful handcart saints to suffer so much. Surely He could have intervened and tempered the storms. As I stood in Martin's Cove and pondered the pioneers who lived and died there, the Spirit whispered to me that just as the Lord was mindful of me that day, He was mindful of those pioneers in 1856. He knew of their suffering and pain. As those pioneers came to know the Savior in their extremities, I, too, have a testimony that when we have trials and challenges, we can, if we are willing, draw close to the Lord, and He will strengthen us and bless us by the power of His almighty hand. The third suggestion is to immerse yourself in daily scripture study. A study of the scriptures will deepen our understanding of and relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. It is this personal testimony and perspective that will carry us through and strengthen us in times of need. We will have faith that He will go before our face. He will be on our right hand and on our left, and His Spirit shall be in our hearts and His angels round about us to bear us up. Our need to study the scriptures to qualify us for the Lord's strength is illustrated by an account from the Old Testament. Ezra was a scribe in Israel. A scribe was not just someone who wrote down the law, but someone who had studied and was very familiar with the scriptures and taught them to others. Ezra and the children of Israel had been in captivity in Babylon for many years. One day Ezra asked the king of Persia if he could leave Babylon and take some of the children of Israel home to Jerusalem. The king agreed. The king also told Ezra to take all of the silver and gold they could find so they could buy meat and drink for the offerings at the temple in Jerusalem. If they did not have enough money to purchase these, they had permission to take it out of the king's treasury. And so it was that Ezra prepared 2,000 people for a journey of 1,100 miles, about the same distance to walk from BYU campus to Nauvoo, Illinois. Going on this long journey with thousands of people and a lot of money was a little daunting to Ezra. However, Ezra was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect them because he had told the king that the hand of God was over all those who sought him. So Ezra and the people fasted and prayed. Then Ezra reports, The hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. 
Perhaps it was Ezra's personal scriptural preparation, in addition to fasting and prayer, which allowed the hand of the Lord to be upon him and for the people to be delivered from their enemies. Having a testimony of the Lord and His goodness, gained through scripture study and confirmed by the Holy Ghost, strengthens us in our subtle needs as well as in our crises. Elder M. Russell Ballard tells a story of one of his former missionaries coming to visit him. The missionary expressed that he was beginning to doubt his testimony and had several questions. Elder Ballard posed the following question to the young man, When was the last time you read from the Book of Mormon? His response was, It's been a long time. Elder Ballard challenged the young man to read from the Book of Mormon for an hour each day until they met again. Ten days later, the young man returned to Elder Ballard's office. He immediately said that he knew the Church was true and that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Elder Ballard asked the young man what he learned from this experience. The young man said, Give the Lord equal time. My testimony of the power of personal scripture study began in college during a religion class taught by Dr. Keith Sellers. As part of the course, we were required to read the scriptures for 30 minutes each day. After the course ended, though I continued to read the scriptures, it was not at the same level. When I finished graduate school, I realized that if I had spent as much time studying the scriptures as I had studying for a degree, I would have known the gospel so much better. At that point, I made a commitment to diligently study the scriptures and give the Lord equal time. I testify that this effort has increased my testimony and that because of it, I have felt strengthened by the hand of the Lord. My fourth and last suggestion to help us become strengthened by the hand of the Lord relates to temple worship. One summer, I visited Nauvoo, Illinois with my sister and her family. We walked down Parley Street along the Trail of Hope, reading the testimonies of the faithful saints who left their beautiful city for the unknown. As we turned and looked up the bluff at the majestic Nauvoo Temple, I mentioned to my nine-year-old nephew Justin just how sad it must have been for the saints to leave this beautiful temple they had just built. Justin said to me, I would take the temple with me. It is possible to take a piece of the temple with us each time we attend. The dedicatory prayer offered at the Kirtland Temple, as recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants, included the following promise for temple worship. And we ask thee, Holy Father, that thy servants may go forth from this house, armed with thy power, and that thy name may be upon them, and thy glory be round about them, and thine angels have charge over them. Perhaps the early saints who waited from early morning until late at night to receive their temple endowment in the Nauvoo Temple knew something about the power of temple covenants and the Lord's ability to bless and strengthen them through their confidence. Sarah Rich, who served with her husband in the Nauvoo Temple for four months, wrote, Many were the blessings we had received in the house of the Lord, which was cause for joy and comfort in the midst of all our sorrows, and enabled us to have faith in God, knowing He would guide us and sustain us in the unknown journey that lay before us. For if it had not been for the faith and knowledge that was bestowed upon us in that temple by the influence and help of the Spirit of the Lord, our journey would have been like taking a leap in the dark. To start such a journey in the winter as it were, and in our state of poverty, it would seem like walking into the jaws of death. Elder David A. Bednar shared the following insight about the power of temple worship. He said that when serving as president of BYU-Idaho, he and Sister Bednar would host general authorities who had served as a temple president. In talking with them, he would always ask this question, What have you learned as a temple president 
that you wish you had better understood when you were a general authority. Elder Bednar said, As I listened to their answers, I discovered a consistent theme that I would summarize as follows. I have come to better understand the protection available through our temple covenants and what it means to make an acceptable offering of temple worship. There is a difference between church-attending, tithe-paying members who occasionally rush into the temple to go through a session and those members who faithfully and consistently worship in the temple. The similarity of their answers impressed me greatly. Each response to my question focused on the protecting power of the ordinances and covenants available in the house of the Lord. I know, just as Sarah Jane knew, that the Lord is my best source of strength. I must regularly and consistently do those things that will qualify me to receive that strength. When I first received my temple endowment, I made a personal commitment that I would never let my temple recommend expire. I wanted to be worthy and able to go to the temple at any time. One year it was time to renew my temple recommend. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, and within a week would be returning to Utah where I could meet with my homeward bishop to renew my recommend. However, I met with my Atlanta bishop and stake president so that my temple recommend would remain current. On my way to Utah, I met my sister and her family in Nauvoo for a vacation mentioned earlier. As part of our stay, we had made arrangements to attend a session in the Nauvoo Temple. On the morning of my scheduled appointment, I awoke early, quietly got dressed, and prepared to leave. Much to my dismay, I could not find my temple recommend. I searched my purse and suitcase, and then I began unloading my car, sifting through all my moving boxes. The time for my appointment approached, and there was still no recommend. I resigned myself to the fact that I would miss my appointment and began to cry. I so wanted to attend the temple. I needed the strength that I knew a temple session would provide. My niece Katie, who was five years old at the time, asked me what was wrong. I explained that I could not find my temple recommend. She responded, That's not very good. Uh, no, it wasn't very good, and I was quite despondent. Then Katie, in a most sincere and thoughtful tone, said to me, My mom has one that you can borrow. <laughs> Unfortunately, I could not borrow my sister's personal recommend to attend the temple that day any more than I could borrow her prayers or the hours she has spent in scripture study or her faith that the Lord will strengthen her during her difficulties. Being strengthened by the Lord is an individual experience. We qualify for it individually, and individually we receive strength. I testify that as we wait upon the Lord and prepare ourselves to be strengthened by the hand of the Lord, we will become the person the Lord desires us to become. As the Lord says in Zechariah, I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. I testify that the Lord is my God. He lives. I am strengthened by His hand each day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Tenacious Endurance, with thoughts from David F. Evans and Rosemary Thackeray. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter.
Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.